Welcome to part two of our discussion with Indra Adman as she delves deeper into the future of politics and the creation of a political system that can honor and express and bring to fulfillment our human potentials. She talks about the importance of soft power, the power of attraction instead of antagonism, and finding the most skillful story that both acknowledges our potentials and more effective ways of relating. She emphasizes the changing roles of men and women in today's world and in the political system and the importance of relationship, our one-on-one connections, our direct immediate contact with each other as the medium in which fulfillment and transformation occurs. Welcome to Deep Transformation, Self, Society, Spirit, life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. Women being successful in the public space is not an uncomplicated thing. You know, so I, I would love to know your mom, for example, and to know how she did what she did. Because in my experience, in politics, for example, the women going into politics were obliged to adopt the male behavior. They wouldn't be successful if they didn't do that. They had to be better men than the men. Margaret Thatcher was the best man in politics, right? And that is not the same kind of shift I'm talking about. And unfortunately, that's been the case for the, you know, certainly for the late 20th century, early 21st century, women stepping into the men's shoes is not quite what I'm describing when I'm thinking about, I'm sure you understand that. Can you give us some examples of women that we should look up to that are kind of doing that yin-yang balance and are stepping into positions of authority and leadership that we can kind of go, okay, and learn something? Yeah, I mean, it's funnily enough, even that question is challenging because it's difficult to see and I'm rather loath to recommend the most successful ones because the ones I want to draw attention to are the ones that are doing it all the time. So the ones that hold your communities together. You know, for me, the most inspiring group of people I ever worked with were social workers who are mostly women who had such an advanced, intuitive understanding of people's needs that you know, with very, very little money at all, they could rescue people in a way that governments could never rescue people. They could help them reclaim their autonomy. They could help them find purpose. They could help them find belonging. It's this ability to work with a human through their real needs, not just their material needs, their emotional and spiritual needs as well. It just came intuitively to them because of giving themselves to the task. And these women are the very women who never get recognized worse than that. They get blamed for every small mistake that is made, or they get blamed for the fact that despite the fact that they could hold these families together for such a long time, this family was still destroyed by having their money taken away from them or having the, you know, not passing a certain test or failing in the, you know, the social workers conundrum is always, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't, damned if you interfere and damned if you don't interfere. They had an impossible task always. But my experience, I spent two years working on a project with my partner, Pat Kane, called Reimagining Social Work. 
And this is, honestly, this was the most enlightening period of work that I think I ever did. And I find that again and again, that I'll give you another great example. In the UK, you might have got a hint of, of a program that David Cameron tried to unleash called the Big Society. The idea was, is that uh, as a politician, he was now going to big up the big society and say, you know, the work, the natural work of communities is the thing that we want to increasingly trust and depend on. Right? Sounds like a good idea, right? But what actually happened was that they had a huge budget for this. They appointed all sorts of entrepreneurial projects under the title Big Society, almost all of them run by men, and took away some of the budgets of the women who were doing their very badly paid work in communities already. And it was such an illustration of the not understanding the true work that this feminine agency has and replacing it with something that works in the capitalist system, so to speak, the measurements, the ways of measuring, the ways of managing, the ways of applying, the lack of relationship, actually, in the way that they were doing it. It just showed up these two completely wrong ideas about what a, how a community would thrive in this new idea of communities having power. And it didn't last long. It ran out of steam and money with no real results in about four years. It sounds like a painful example of, the, of exactly what you're talking about, this emphasis on more attention to structure uh, rather than a recognition of the networks at work and uh, would you call it soft power? Is this what you would, would you yeah. refer to this as soft power? Well, soft power is another piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. Roger. And this is not necessarily what I would describe as soft power. So, okay. so soft power is, you probably know it as a, a term that was invented by Roger Nye in the 1990s. He was a you know head, head of the Kennedy School of Government and advisor to Bill Clinton. And soft power described really not hard power, right? So this is in the era of America having just had to retreat from the Vietnam War and trying to make sense of that. So the largest superpower, you know, couldn't beat the tiny country of Vietnam and had to withdraw in this chaotic conditions. It was a moment of possible humiliation for America. And what Joseph Nye said, sorry, I said Roger Nye, what Joseph Nye said was that even if America's hard power is being questioned all over the world, nobody will ever challenge America's soft power. And what he meant by that was the power of attraction. So he was really saying that no matter what happened, the American dream, the idea that anybody could become president or that no matter where you started, you could succeed and that it was a free society, the American dream would always pull people towards America, want to make relationship with America. And through that relationship that they wanted to have, America could have influence over the whole of the world because of their attraction built by the American dream. And so the soft power industry, as we know it, you know, Hollywood in particular, or Netflix now, was the machine of generating the attraction of the American dream all over the world. And, you know, he was right about that at that time. The question is, so soft power then, what is it? It's the power of attraction generating relationship through story, 
right? So it's really the power of narrative or the power of storytelling to generate relationship and attraction, which gives you influence over others. So, and, and clearly that has enormous power. It's the kind of narrative which gives us our worldview and our values and our assumptions and provides the motivation for each of us and cultures to, yeah. to act. And yet the very soft power that you're referring to, the American dream, is for so many people a nightmare. And, and of course, as with any concept, it can be understood at very different levels as people mature and effectively become wiser. So at one level, the ideals of the American dream are wonderful. On the other hand, the, re the way it is so usually interpreted as in a very materialistic way, the American dream, every, any, the myth that anyone can succeed when in fact there are all sorts of hidden barriers to success and the success being measured in terms of income and two cars, blah, 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 blah. And the research is crystal clear. That focus such as that on material outcome produces far less satisfied and ha happy lives than a focus on, for example, exactly what you've been saying, the quality of relationships rather than power, on generativity, that is creativity and contribution, on intrinsic meaning, doing things which have meaning in the for the very doing of it, rather than getting some goals such as image or achievement. So, so I'm just wanting to bring in the complexity of something like the American yeah. dream, which can be interpreted in so many ways and from so many different levels of understanding and maturation. I know you've you've been a student of, in fact, you've been a major contributor in London to founding the integral community there with based on the work of Ken Wilmer with a deep appreciation of different levels of development. So since I've gone on a rant about this, <laughs> I, I, I've just been doing a little re reading and writing on the American dream, or so, as some people right. call it, the American nightmare. So how would you see the work you do through the filter of the reality that people operate from different levels of development? I'm not sure I understand the relationship between the American dream and the integral framework. Is that what you're trying to uh, not, yeah. not necessarily. I just did a rant on on the way, on, right. the, on, <laughs> on the uh, the American dream, which yeah. actually is usual interpretation is very materialistic, and yeah. the research on that interpretation is crystal clear that those kind of values lead to greater unhappiness in the long term. Perhaps at different de developmental levels, the dream will be interpreted differently. Right, right. That's an idea, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a complicated relationship between these two things, but I think there is a relationship between them because it's really, in a way, the story we tell. What is the story we're telling about our reality? And it does shift all the time. And there are different forms of agency, let's say, that would reinterpret it all the time, right? What's interesting about that is that it persists, right? This American dream somehow persists, so much so that the chi that China itself wants to challenge with the Chinese dream. But the Chinese dream is actually a version of the American dream because the notion of an American dream itself is quite American and is part of the system that we find ourselves in. So let me just dare to say that the whole idea of, you know, anybody can become president we imagine that as somebody moving up the ladder, right, from nothing to something. And there's a little bit of an echo in that, I think, in the idea of 
you know, spiral dynamics and the integral, let's say the image of integral development, it appears to many people as a ladder from something to something. But that in itself is its danger as well. And I'm finding that more and more. And I felt it very strongly when I was hosting the London Integral Circle from the mid-90s to the, you know, the mid-40s, as they say, over that period. We were studying Wilbur's works and Kagan and you know, many of them. You know, this is where I first met Terry Patton. He came to my house where we were having these regular meetings. And I should say, actually, that Terry was a very humane presence there, as were the other speakers who came. But there came a distinctive moment in the London Integral Circle where the women decided to leave. And the reason they left was because they felt there was an overemphasis on the the books that Wilbur wrote, literally the page references. What did Wilbur mean? What was he really saying? You know, and this intense kind of trying to understand the mind of Wilbur, as opposed to how do we apply this to real life? You know, how does this appear? How does uh, what Wilbur and Kagan talk about, how does this not only appear in us, in our social imaginary, but how can we change it? You know, how can we use our integral knowledge to make a new future come about? It was not really being talked about. So there was this departure between two different ways of using what Wilbur was bringing. I feel this is happening more and more now, that the ladder nature of development is not serving the real gifts, if you like, of what an integral outlook on life could bring to our societies because we're trapping ourselves or we could be trapping ourselves in an old language about what development is and what it looks like. So let me just start then. This is really, really interesting, a, a subject. And, you know, Roger and I have been involved in the world for quite a while. Hmm. And my work was on integral recovery and taking the integral model and applying directly to people I was always working with is alcoholics and drug addicts and their families. Hmm. And immediately I saw this, you know, this is the Rosetta Stone to help us be more effective than we were being. And I found also in my work with addicts, and I was a wilderness guide, therapeutic wilderness guide for taking young people and adults out that had these issues. And I found that I had to be both a strong male leader, decisive, and sometimes ruthless to save lives. And also I had to be very connective and feminine and compassionate mm. and to hold people in their grief and pain and hold them in my heart. So it was quite obvious. I mean, to me, as it developed, the skills and, and the capacities that had developed with time became a little more natural. And I realized it was okay to be strong and decisive. It's okay to, you know, that warrior self, and it's okay to be a somebody whose heart breaks with people who are suffering mm. and hold them and be there in their pain and do what we mm. can. And I think developmentalism is something that's constantly developing. <laughs> You know, the yeah. more we look at it, the more, you know, it's grown over the years. And, and I think maybe that was one of the failings of the integral model. It was such a beautiful intellectual model that it really attracted a lot of really smart intellectual people, but without heart. And that that's for any intellectual movement. Hmm. Without soul, it can be very arid and very dry and doesn't have a lot of juice. Thank you for that. And I think that's a very important aspect. It's, but it's not necessarily what I'm trying to draw attention to at this point, which is you know, and as a, as a woman looking at the developmental ladder, let's say, you know, 
from this to that. My own experience is that, yes, certainly in the first 20 years of life, we're clearly developing our capacities. But beyond that, we develop them very unevenly. For example, you know, to become a parent young in life can zap you right into a sort of teal capacity to, you know, maybe if you've, if you've got a number of children and they're all very different, you know, being able to hold that container and allow them all to become independent as very different kinds of people is a kind of teal capacity. It's not, it's not something you necessarily have to develop in a straight line. And at the same time, many people who would like to think of this teal capacity would like to jump from orange straight into that space, right? And never develop that moment or even period of life where everything with the radical equality of everyone really changes who you are, right? I, I, I find that a lot of people haven't been through that stage when they're already claiming that they're teal or that they're yellow or whatever color structure that we're using. So I find that it's better to think about these different, what I, I describe it as forms of agency, different kinds of agency that come from these different conditions in life or different periods of life that then exist within you all the time, like that Russian doll effect, if you like. And depending on how healthy your childhood development was, for example, you might find that they will keep demanding attention. So for many people, the red, that period of our lives when we, when we were, you know, wanting to be heard, you know, want our voices to be heard at all costs. Some people never grew healthily through that. They were, they were just shut up all the time. And if you were shut up all the time and you didn't grow healthily through that, it's still there, livid in you, and it will come out at any time. You know, it could come out in an uncontrolled way or in a controlled way. But I find a lot of people running corporations still have this kind of, this red, very unpredictable in them. So I think it's important to keep the ecology of these different kinds of agency, not on a ladder, but in a more fluid state, which I know is imagined by Teal, but I find that when we're talking or introducing integral to society, it has this laddered image that people imagine they have to reach the higher levels and that many of the people who are holding these spaces have the material resources to be confident about this teaching. I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but it's as if it's already packed into the ladder this idea that, and the truth that when you have difficult material circumstances, it's more difficult for you to experience these many levels of agency because your life doesn't offer that to you. But it doesn't mean you don't have it. You do have it. The difference between potentials and, and the environment which allows us to express them, yeah. Let's see, I'm aware that probably coming towards the end of our time, but I have a Certainly another question I'd like to ask you, but I'm also aware that you really <laughs> turned the tables on us at, the, at a point and, and asked us some questions. And so I'm just wondering, which was beautiful because it instantiated exactly what you've been talking about, the power of out of relationship, new possibilities emerging. And I really appreciate what you did. And I'm just wondering, is, is there anything else you'd like to ask? Us? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm quite curious about whether you yourselves feel 
you know, we we are part of the integral legacy, if you like. We've all been through it from the beginning, right? Do you yourselves feel that it's possible that the way it sees itself is now itself evolving or needs to evolve in order to really serve a wider landscape, a wider field? Does that ring true for you, or is that something that maybe... Yeah, maybe just to set a co- context to your question, Indra, because not, not everyone in our audience will be familiar with Integral, but Integral is, the, okay. is Ken Wilber's conceptual framework, his remarkable synthesis, probably the biggest conceptual map we have in our time for understanding both human nature, life, the way in which different ideas fit together. It's a truly a remarkable synthesis of unprecedented scope and gives a framework for understanding our lives in very powerful ways. And I think all of us would certainly recommend it. But you're asking the question, Indra, are we, is this movement evolving itself in the way it sees itself? John, do you want to? Yeah, well, when Ken got sick, you know, the big thing that was going on in Boulder for years, and I got in right up the the end of that, I was living in Utah at the time, uh, that kind of blew up for various reasons that we don't have to get into. And so there was this diaspora. We all went our own ways and we all did our own things. And a lot of the conferences and the get-togethers stopped in the United States. And the only one that the the last man standing or last person standing is IEC, the Integral European Conference I'm going to next Mm -hmm. week. Yeah, so there's been a lot of diversity. And just recently I've been thinking that I think this, and I like the way you said Integral Legacy, there's a lot of people that are, leaders that are coming to the fore and Roger is one of them I think and Diane Hamilton and uh, Steve McIntosh in politics and of course Terry you know big-hearted Terry you know bringing that into politics and and we talked to him had an interview with him or a conversation a few weeks before he died I felt deeply in love with the man right Mm -hmm. right before he passed but anyway but his presence is still with me so I I think and, and I think you see I see it in people that don't even talk about Ken Wilbur you know, that a lot of the ideas are just getting out, whether it's coming just from the newosphere in general or people that are passing on the integral way of looking at things is definitely is definitely true. And of course, you brought up one of the really important things about the integral movement. You know, why would all the women leave? I mean, oh, my God, that's catastrophic. So, boys, we better get our, you know, pull our heads out and recognize that. And, and why would, you know, we cause such a thing as men? So, yeah, it's been a bumpy, beautiful, revelatory journey, and I'm still struggling with it. I'm still trying to figure out how to be a better man and at the same time be compassionate and have these these values. And I, I deeply honor Ken and his work and what he brought. He could have handled it a lot worse. He's, I think he's been really dignified mm. in the way he shared of course, I wrote a book and that became my career, Integral Recovery. He never asked for any money or said, you're stealing my ideas. He just, you know, was very supportive and kind to me. So it's a work in progress. And I see it that we have to become more integral in the broader sense of the word if we're going to survive as a human family. And I've been drawn in karmically into the war in Ukraine right now and helping mm. Ukrainian refugees and raising funds and being a part of that. And I find what I garnered to be really helpful and a part of my inner work that I don't even have to think about so much anymore. It's just the way I kind of naturally uh, feel and flow into the world. So I don't know if that was a good answer, but uh, as, as you see, I'm I'm, uh, I'm a work in progress as we all are. <laughs> as we all as we all are, John. And and you know, I I get a very strong sense that your 
inviting your heart to lead the way around this. A lot of what you're talking about in, in response to my questions is, you know, is, is your heartfelt sense of who you want to be and who you can be. And I think that that is the best, you know, that's, a, that's the right way forward. I mean, that's the right way forward for all of us, right? And then what is it open up as a result is the question. You know, when, when I look at any space that is still dominant, you know, that is still mostly, I mean, I'm being very crude here, and please accept my apology for this, but if it is still nearly all white men talking to each other, I want them to ask themselves, what would this space look and sound like? If we're thinking about planetary transformation, what would it sound like if it really had all these, you know, at least different voices in the room in a really good balance to hear from, you know, a Chinese person or an Indian person or an African person or, you know, and obviously more women. Maybe we have to think about different genders, the trans, the non-binary. What would it actually look and sound like with all of these voices talking about integral? Would it sound different? Sound better. I think it probably would, right? <laughs> yeah. It probably would. And that's the question I just feel has to be held all the time when we're moving from an era of a certain kind of ability to manage information and to share information moves into another way, you know. And when the medium now is so different, what is the new message? And what is this, you know, what is the attraction available to draw us into something that would include everyone without losing any of these principles really at all, but just finding that it's coming out of the mouths of many other people and therefore would sound different and would feel agentically different and viscerally different. That's just the question I'm holding. But I think if the heart leads, we're going to get to that place. But when we start to get to that place to really seed, C-E-D-E, you know, seed power, let go of it, allow other things to rise into that space. You know, when the women left, it wasn't to reject, it was to use the time better. You know, it wasn't, we didn't want to humiliate the men, we wanted to use our time in a different way. And that's, you know, that's really what I'm trying to, you know, highlight. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. It seems like you're emphasizing the centrality of lived experience and heart-led life, livelihood, as crucial and as one of the main things I, I sense you wanting to bring into your social and political work. Yeah, I would say heart-led, for sure. But also, you know, I'm, what's the right word for it? You know, I, I, you know, I believe in our human capacity for really reimagining and reinventing this world, this planet that we live on. I think we're really holding ourselves back and that we could really bring in something new, but a lot has to be dropped in order to do that. For me, it's not simply a building project of who has the new, who has the new technology, who has the new innovation, who has the... For me, it's more about what can we drop that allows much more of the energy that was always there, the, the ingenuity that was always there, the intelligence that was always there, but has been systematically blocked until now. If we can drop our ways of suppressing people and suppressing the voices and the creativity of people, 
I think we'll, we will find ourselves in a very new world. And if you were to just to distill the essence of that vision of possibility for us, it's a big question, but could you? Yeah, it's to, it's to come back to the self, really, and to, to recognize yourself as a complex entity, right? So we, we've moved from being homo economicus to being the full biopsychosocial spiritual entity, that's who we are. And then to ask ourselves, if we could really experience that full self, what kind of societies could we be building? And I would say that starts at the community level. A community of any kind, whether it's a town or a city or even a neighborhood or even a family, is a container for experimenting with what is the design of the public space that could honor this full complex human being. And then when it is doing that and coming into relationship with nature and with its environment, what kind of planet are we actually manifesting as a result of that? So the axis, if you like, of a new politics is I, we, world. It's connecting the health of the human being to the health of the planet via the health of the communities that hold that together and incubate that potential. Beautiful. And you're so, it sounds like you're coming back to your theme of the interconnection of the three spheres, the personal, the relational, and the, and the global. And I heard you say before that at the heart of that vision is a new image and vision of what we are. Absolutely at the heart of it. And then when you start to open your eyes to what is already here, you know, we, we should be amazed that the internet responded actually to our desire to be able to release this kind of energy. I see it as a response. And even the technology that we have, you know, when we think about Facebook or Twitter or TikTok, each time it, there's a new innovation that holds this creative potential. It keeps being seized back by the old system, right? We know it keeps being capitalized, mm -hmm. but let's not get too distracted by the machinations of the old system. Let's focus on what is being built and what is possible. And that for that reason, we're trying to build a new comms and media system around this, you know, emergent possibility. Um, it's not something that needs to be scaled up by some central power. It's actually a fractal emergence. The patterns that we see arising are appearing everywhere. And that's really what I mean by let go of the control of it, become aware of what is emerging and be in it as your full complex self in these three realms. So I know you wanted it to be like a one sentence thing, but it's, we, could, we could come back to this axis of the I, the we, and the world. If we're occupying that I and acknowledging that we can also occupy the we and the world and find the structures that allow us to do that, that's what we call cans, how these connect with each other and how we tell the story of that ultimately is the soft power that we're trying to build and generate. 
to cause attraction, if you like, towards something that is genuinely different from what we have today. And it seems like you're, you're, again, we come back to the theme of finding the most skillful story or narrative that will acknowledge the fullness of our being and potentials and of the interconnection between the I, the we, and the, and the global. And it feels like in part that's what you're trying to do is give birth to this new, more generous narrative mm. about who we are and who we can become. Yeah, and what this moment in history really is. Yeah. And what is it that gives you hope at this time, Indra? Conversations like this. <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful. You know, it's to be in relationship with you at this moment, feeling heard by you and seeing in you the qualities that can take us further. You know, I, I, I feel better. I feel better for this hour, for this hour that we've spent together. And I know that if we can carry these kind of conversations, again, I, you know, I want to point to the miracle of a Zoom room. It's amazing, right, that we can have such testing conversations and shift even tiny bits towards, I've learned something about you, John, and I've learned something about you, Roger, that now counts in my understanding of what reality is. We just did this in a Zoom room. How many miles apart are we? It's extraordinary. <laughs> you know, and that's the, I want to keep drawing attention to the miracle of this moment, the miracle actually of our connectedness in a very strong and fashionable narrative about our disconnectedness, right? So how many mm -hmm. Zoom rooms have I been in where people are talking about how disconnected we all are and I just feel compelled to say, but really this moment, you know, me mm -hmm. and you, are we really that disconnected? Let's build on it. Let's build. Yeah. Let's drop the boundaries that we've created for ourselves. Let's drop the things that divide us from others to say, this is us and that's them. You know, how do we just drop those things, move into these kind of conversations wherever we are, whether you're standing in a shop in your local supermarket or whether you're in a very eclectic Zoom call like this, you know, things happen when you move into conversation and into relationship with people. And every time we're learning, I'm not saying every experience will be a good one, but every time we're learning something more than we knew before about ourselves and about the other. But if we're not prepared to do that, then it is quite bleak. You know? and, I, and I am actively questioning wherever I go, when I hear this very settled, yeah, but we're okay, but the danger is that, or the language about the far right, or the language about the conspiracy theorists, or the language about sometimes amongst women, the language about men, or sometimes amongst men, the language about women, or everywhere where there's some sort of social justice eruption, then suddenly a divide. The people who feel all of, all of this emotion and the people who feel oppressed by that emotion, a new divide, even though those people five minutes before that were absolutely on the same territory. So mm. just that, making 
that is the revolutionary act, actually, is to make relationship where you can't make relationship, where before you couldn't make relationship. That is mm. the revolutionary act, and that is the challenge for every one of us to know who you're not talking to and begin that conversation. That is the fastest way for this to ripple through the universe in a way that could never be organized by some central body. It's simply people taking that on for themselves. Thank you. I'm I'm touched by that. And I'm also aware that there, in a way, in a conversation was a microcosm of what you're describing. And there was a point, maybe a third of the way through, where you where you brought us into a reflection from these general ideas into a reflection on the quality on the nature of our interaction in this moment and our connection. And I just felt the energy and juice go up at that that point in a very beautiful, inspiring way. And I can still feel it. And so on. And you've you've brought us back to that. The and so what I the insight that comes for me is it's in the power of paying attention to this moment of the interaction and relationship that vitality, life comes into our being and, and our being together. Absolutely that. I love the way you've described that. And that energy is the life-changing energy or the world-changing energy, I think, that we're, that we're looking for and that we need. Yes, and it reflects what you spoke to earlier in our conversation, that it's in this moment. It's in the present that all possibility exists. And, you know, it's said so often that it's almost trite, but it's also profound that this moment is the only time we have. And if you can't be happy now, well, (laughs) you know, et cetera. So I just, I want to thank you very much for the richness of ideas you've brought us, but even more for the making them come alive in our dialogue and giving us a taste, which I'm sure everyone listening will also get a feel for, of the way the aliveness of the contact, the connection, the dialogue, the co-exploration, which has just been wonderful. I mean, I feel myself enlivened by it, so I'm just, just naming it. So thank you very much, Indra. Well, thank you. Honestly, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, real good, Andrew. Thank you for your presence and what was created here among the three of us. And it's going out, you know, to, to our ever expanding community or connections or however that works. But I yeah. think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. And your, your book, uh, The Politics of Waking Up Power and Possibility in the, in the Fractal Age, I think you gave a living demonstration of the spirit underneath the words and uh, the spirit of also the work you, you are doing and what you are the vision of politics and possibility and society that you're you're working to bring into being. And I think you you pointed to it happens in the microcosm of relationship and you demonstrated and and elicited that from us and in us. So Indra, thank you so much. This has really been a wonderful, wonderful gift. Thank you so much. Thank you. Today's episode was brought to you by iWake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.